We have been talking about how every part of our body affects our destiny, that where our life goes is really determined by how we use our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our heart, our mind. Last week, we started to really scratch the surface on the mental and emotional state of our lives and how right now in our world, there's been an attack on people's minds and hearts that the enemy has been trying to wreak havoc, especially even in the church where we've seen more and more increase of depression and suicides and anxiety and stress. And what we talked about last week is that we've got to fight against those enemies. But today I want to talk to you, instead of fighting for victory, fighting from victory, mental and emotional victory. How many of you believe that God's called your mind and heart to live in victory and not in defeat your whole life? So how do, we, how do we do that? Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That the more I think in a certain direction, my life will move in my most dominant thoughts. If I think about Cheesecake Factory long enough, I'm going to go eat some Cheesecake Factory. If I think about chicken wings, my mind moves my feet. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You start moving in those thoughts, those emotions. I talked about last week my personal testimony over depression, that for me, depression was really, it was like walking into a house, and instead of going upstairs, I went downstairs. And one step at a time, I started walking into sadder thoughts, more frustrating, confusion thoughts, and instead of just stopping at the first basement, I found another door, and I walked down to a second basement and a third, and I kept going further down. It was just a spiral staircase into darkness until one night I found myself in such a dark place where I was by myself. One of the worst things you could do when you're overwhelmed mentally or emotionally is be all by yourself. We were, we were made for relationships, but I remember that night I was standing on a bridge, and I shared this last week, that I was on this tall highway bridge that, that overlooked another highway, and I just heard the enemy saying, just jump, like just end it. And I remember that night feeling so overwhelmed and in such a dark place. And, and, and the enemy was saying all these thoughts, but down, deep down in that basement of depression and despair, I could also feel a leak of God's hope coming from that first floor to the second basement, the third basement. I felt a victory that was leaking down on my, and as you train your children up in the Lord, train a child up, they will not depart from it. They might walk down to the bottom basement, but somewhere down there, they're gonna hear the whisper of their father. It was like I could hear my dad shouting from heaven through those basements, and I could hear it. The shout was almost a whisper down there saying, Paul, don't throw in the towel, don't quit, don't give up, walk away from this bridge, move on with your life, you have a future, rise up from this, don't do this, don't do this, your life is valuable. And I remember that night shouting in the darkness, you lose, Satan, I choose to live, I choose to get up, I choose to move forward. I'm getting out of this basement. I remember that night walking through the dark and it was a process. It was steps out of the basement. And, and we talked about last week that it really is one step at a time. We don't defeat depression and anxiety and stress as if we're trying to conquer it for the entire rest of our life all in one moment. You just gotta win today. Every battle is a daily, you've gotta win every day. It's a 24 hour 
battle. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But I'll tell you this. You cannot win out here until you win in here. You cannot win out here until you win between the ears. The battle is between, it's in the mind, it's in the heart. It requires mental and emotional strategic victory. You've got to start winning in here. I'm telling you, you can be everything God's called you to be, but it starts in the mind and in the heart. Now, Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. Now, what Jesus meant by that was that I didn't just come to give you survival mode type of life. I didn't just come so that you might exist and eke your way through middle school and, and try to blend in in high school and hope that nobody notices you and, and, then, and then somehow arrive safely to the graveyard without anyone ever recognizing you were on planet Earth. Like Jesus said, I came so that you might be alive to the fullest. Not just survive high school, but change your high school, change your university, impact your family, break the generational curses off of your family, start really living. I love the message version. It says, like, it says it like this, I came so that you can have real and eternal life, better life than you've ever dreamed of. And I think some of us are settling for something less than what God gave his son for, for us. So how do we do it? Well, in Matthew 9, verse 29, there was two blind men that were wanting to be healed. And so they asked Jesus, they said, would you heal us? Would you get us out of this mess that we're in, this blindness? And you could fill in the blank, blindness, you could fill in the blank with depression, PTSD, anxiety, stress, suicidal thoughts. You could say, Jesus, would you heal me of this disorder? Would you heal my family of all the strife? Would you heal me from being in this dark state? Would you get me out of this? And I love what Jesus says to them because I think he says it to all of us. He said, according to your faith, become what you believe. Some of us want God to do all the work for us. But God says, you've got to release your faith for healing. You've got to release your faith that this is not the state you're going to live in the rest of your life. And I'm not talking about the state of Oklahoma because this is a good state. I'm talking about the state of depression. I'm talking about the state of constant anxiety. God did not put us on earth to spend 60 years living in stress. Some of us have normalized in the church what's normal outside the church. We've said, well, all of America's dealing with depression, Paul, so just let's accept that's, that's kind of the calling of the church is that we're just gonna survive, we're all called to suffer, and we're gonna suffer mentally and emotionally. That's not God's will for your life. God did not call you to spend 60, 70 years constantly feeling defeated on the inside. We are called to have victory in the mind, in the heart, in the life that God's called us to live. So Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning on having mental and emotional victory, that we would leave changed, refreshed, renewed, revived here and online. And for those who watch this, in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Thank you so much, Ben. All right. I wanna give you some ways right now to start walking in mental and emotional victory. You ready for it? I'm gonna hit you with a bunch of good steps to get out of this. Imagine that you're walking up from the basement and out to the place God's called you to walk into one step at a time. The first step to walk in mental and emotional victory is to drain the swamp. You've got to drain the swamp inside your mind and heart. Everybody say drain the swamp. Now, before you start thinking, Paul's getting all political on us, 
That's not what I'm doing. Draining the swamp was actually a phrase that was there before any politician used it. It was, it was there for a long time. In fact, farmers, anyone who owned any land that had a pond, a lake, uh, a creek, a river, they would talk about when a body of water, when a circular body of water became polluted with so much leaves and grass and so much junk that would fill up in it, it would get murky, swampy, especially in the south. And so when it got swampy, it would start attracting parasites. What do parasites do? They suck the blood out of you. And what's happening with these things going on in our mental and emotional state is there's parasites that have just been piling up. It's like our hearts have become swampy with sin, swampy with comparison, swampy with jealousy, swampy with envy, swampy with anger. So at any given moment, you're going to explode with rage because you haven't drained the swamp in a long time. And it's about time we start getting rid of these parasites and these mosquitoes that have been sucking the life out of our relationships and driving away every good person that's trying to be near you because you can't handle it because there's a swamp in your mind and heart. It's time to drain the swamp. You got to get rid of it. It starts in the mind. Before you can start living with victory, you've got to start draining everything that's not victory in your mind and heart. Hebrews 3 verse 8 says, do not let your heart become hardened as the Israelites did when they rebelled against God and they were tested in the wilderness. Hebrews 3 has a lot to say about the heart. A hardened heart. A, a swampy heart. A heart that's become corrupt. That's dark on the inside. Scientists, doctors have, have, have looked into what hardens the heart, the, the physical state of the heart. When, when someone has a heart attack or coronary heart disease or a stroke or, or, or anything that attacks the heart, it all begins with the flow of oxygen and blood towards the heart. And when, when the arteries get clogged on the inside with cholesterol, high cholesterol, or just certain things that clog the arteries when the oxygen and the blood is not flowing to the heart, it causes people to go into heart attacks. Every year, there's more than 720,000 heart attacks that happen just in the United States. 380,000 people die a year because of heart failure, heart disease. What's crazy is they say this condition begins in childhood years. You don't even know it, they say. But as a child, you start eating things you shouldn't be eating. You start smoking more and more. You start allowing certain things to build up. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about the spiritual state of our heart. Over time, even as a child, you can hold on to wounds from people who hurt you. Like, who broke your heart 20 years ago? Some of us are trying to get even with someone who's already dead. Like, they've already stepped into eternity, and we're still living our life for them and it's clogging the arteries. It's swamping, if that's a word, it's, it's swamping up your heart and your mind. Some of us are living constantly with fear and anxiety and stress about tomorrow. And I just hear Jesus saying that, that that's not my plan. Like, look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't live with stress and anxiety. The trees, they don't stress themselves out to produce leaves. I gotta grow a leaf this spring. I got to get through the winter. You know, trees aren't struggling. <laughs> Why is humanity living in such in insanity? 
What's going on? We're holding on to wounds. We're dabbling in sin. We've lost the ability to feel convicted over things that used to break our heart that we did because we've just gone so down into the basement. We've just kept taking steps into sin and more sin, and so now we don't even feel. We've become numb. One of the symptoms of, of heart disease is, is the the lack of feeling. You start becoming numb. You start having chest pain, shortness of breath, intense sweating, anxiety, loss of speech, difficulty swallowing, blindness, paralysis of the body. If you don't drain the swamp, it's going to stop you from your victory. You've got to look in your heart and say, I need to forgive them. I need to stop messing with this sin. I need to stop thinking on these thoughts Think small, live small. Think defeated, live defeated. Think corrupt, live corrupt. But if you'll start getting your thoughts and your emotions with pure thoughts, fix your thoughts on Christ. Choose to start shifting your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings away from whatever the world is trying to put inside you. And I'm telling you, you'll start to see victory. David said it like this. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. In other words, David was saying, drain the swamp, God. Come inside my mind and heart and where it's become really swampy in there and corrupt and dark. I mean, David had gone through an affair. He had murdered the woman's husband that he had an affair with. Then he has a stillborn child. All of these hurts and wounds and heartaches and feelings of failure as a dad, as a husband, as a king had overwhelmed him. He needed a, a, a swamp draining. And so in Psalm 51, he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. But in Psalm 139, he said, search me, God, and remove everything inside me that's not of you and lead me in the way everlasting. Today, let that be your prayer. The first step out of mental and emotional illness, mental and emotional discouragement is to start draining the swamp in your mind and heart of every toxic thing that's been sitting in there polluting you. Number two, shift from a defensive focus to an offensive focus. I heard a football coach say the best offense is a good defense, and it sounds good. Although you cannot just win a game by only playing defense, you gotta go score some touchdowns, my friend. And the church is not lacking education, information, or revelation. The church is lacking some big, bold, courageous application of what we already know. If we're going to start winning some games as a church and not just playing defense against the devil, like, oh, I got to guard my mind and heart from, from, from feeling depressed. I hope the devil doesn't beat me today. I hope I don't become, uh, I hope I don't go back to that bridge today. Let's stop living on the defensive posture and start waking up every day and saying, I'm going to win today. I'm going to win. I'm going to lead someone to cry. I'm going to witness today. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be friendly today. I'm going to bring some people to church with me this week. I'm going to start seeing victory like Marquise. I'm going to start giving my best effort every day. I'm going to stop letting the conditions control my character and control my mindset. I'm going to start making my mindset shift my conditions. I'm going to start letting my courage shift what's going on out here. We've got to move from defense to offense. We're still going to guard our hearts, but we're also going to start advancing the kingdom of God in our lives. Everybody say, play offense. Play offense. Get strategic. Whatever it is, move from fear to faith. Move from despair to joy. Number three, let faith take the steering wheel in your thoughts and emotions. I'll never forget going to driver's ed 
Anybody ever do driver's ed as a 16-year-old, 15-year-old? Yeah, I seen you out there on the roads. You're crazy. That was me too. I was taking driver's ed as a 16-year-old, and Mr. Art Page was my teacher, and he was, he was helping me learn how to drive. He's in heaven now cheering us on. But Art Page is sitting in the car with me, and he's like, now, Mr. Doherty, you're scaring me here, Mr. Doherty. <laughs> he's like, now, you know that pedal is the gas pedal, Mr. Doherty, and that's the brake pedal. And, and, and listen, you don't want to hit other cars. That's not the goal here. You don't want to scare humans out on the, on the walking path. Stay off the path over there. Stay on the road. You know, he was trying to tell me where to drive. Finally, I was driving him just, you know, kind of wild there. He said, just park the car. I'm going to take the steering wheel now, Mr. Doherty. He made me get out, and he took back over the steering wheel. And I'm thinking sometimes in our lives... We are allowing depression to use the steering wheel in our life. We're allowing anxiety and stress and fear to drive our lives to that cliff, off that cliff. We're, we're allowing our emotions to lead us into rage in, in relationships and conversations. And we're exploding and we're, we're living with an emotional driver that, that's not being led by faith. It's being led by Whatever people do, we're reacting every single day, and that's what's steering our life. That's scary. There's a lot of scary drivers out there spiritually right now. And what we need to do as a church is we need to take back the steering wheel with faith. And we need to say, I'm going to stop letting fear drive my life and guide my life. I'm going to stop letting anger and hurts and wounds and unforgiveness steer my life off a cliff. I'm going to start getting faith back in the driver's seat. I'm taking the steering wheel back. I'm going to stop playing a reactionary mode every single day. And I'm going to start guiding my life with faith. Now go to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 23. 1 Samuel 13, verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We're going to put it on the screen. But I love this part, this story story in the Bible. It's about a boy named Jonathan. And Jonathan was the son of a king. He was actually the son of the first king of Israel, King Saul. And in all natural reasons, Jonathan was born to be the next king of Israel. He was called to be the future king because he was the son of King Saul. He had every right to step into that. And in fact, in this moment, Saul himself, his father, Jonathan's father, Saul, had lost his courage. Saul had just discovered that God's presence was no longer guiding his life because Saul had become so afraid of what people thought. He cared more about his projected image to, to everybody out here than he cared about his heart. And so he had become so dark on the inside, so depressed and jealous and envious and frustrated and confused that he had lost touch with the Spirit of God. How important is it to drain the swamp? It, it, I'm telling you, it can keep the presence of God in your life the more that you say, Lord, cleanse my heart of the hurts and the wounds and the insecurities and the feelings of, of caring about what everyone else thinks about every decision I make. Lord, help me to care about the fear of God more than the fear of man. But Saul, was he was there. He was down in the basement. And the Philistine army was technologically advanced. They were stronger. They outnumbered the Israelites. They had more weapons. There was only two people in Israel that had a weapon, Saul and his son, Jonathan. And it says in verse 23, the pass at Michmash had, meanwhile, been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. So now the Philistines have surrounded the Israelites. So the Israelites, they were already playing defense. Now they're in an even greater posture of defense. They're just waiting to die. They're waiting to be attacked. And I like that chapter 14 shifts the tone. In verse one, it says, one day. Everybody say, one day. One day. 
one day. You don't have to wait for some perfect day to step out and start living with courage. You don't have to wait for a Sunday to get your mind right. You don't have to wait for a Sunday to get connected back to the presence of God. You can do it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You don't have to wait till Easter to get your marriage right or January 1st to start your diet. You don't have to wait till January to get your goals. You can start today. Today is the day the Lord. Jonathan said, we're going to change the thing today. We're going to shift this thing. We're going to stop playing defense. And Jonathan woke up that day and he said, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I love what he says in verse one. He says, come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. This was kind of crazy. And he knew it was crazy. He knew it was super courageous and bold and brave and also kind of like scary. That, that he could literally die right there. The future king of Israel, Jonathan. David had not yet been discovered. His name had not been mentioned. Jonathan was the next guy in line. And he was tired of sitting and waiting in a defensive, sad, depressed state. He was letting faith take the steering wheel. Number four, if we're going to have mental and emotional victory, you've got to take on a God-glorifying risk. Take on a God-glorifying risk that requires crazy courage and radical trust in God. Now, it's easy to take risks in life that don't glorify God. This is why millions of people flock to Vegas every year. It's the city of big risks, right? I'm going to bet it all, put it all on the table, right? And there's something about the risk that gets their adrenaline rushing. But when you take on a God-glorifying risk, and it's not about you, it's about what God could do through you, and it's a little bit scary, and you're going to step out of the boat, and you're going to hope that God shows up, and you're going to launch the Victory Downtown Campus, even though you don't have a building or a team or a budget, but you just heard a whisper from God to just step out. Or when, you, when God says, go on a mission trip, or start a connect group, or get involved at church, or join that ministry, or start giving like it hurts, start sacrificing with a tithe and an offering, start blessing people. When you start taking God glorifying risks that require courage, like crazy courage and trust in God, something shifts in your heart. Your heart starts beating again. Some of us are here physically, but we're not here mentally. You want to get your emotions back on again? You want to start crying again? You want to start laughing again? You want to start feeling alive it's not another cliff jump into the lake, Paul. That's me, I like to jump off cliffs into the river and the lake. Pray for your pastor. I get excited to jump into the lake and the river. I have three children, I can't keep doing this. My mom and my wife are like, Paul, just, just, just enjoy swimming in the water. But you wanna take a risk? Do something that costs you. Do something that you feel, ooh. You sure you want to write that check? You sure you want to go on that mission trip? Ah, my anxiety is taking over. Take a God-glorifying risk. We were not created to live always so safe as if God is some insurance plan. God is not an insurance plan. He's a daring plan. He dares you to make a move. 
He dares you to step out and go to an altar call and to stop caring what everyone else. He dares you to show up to a counselor's office and get your marriage back on track. He dares you to get things right in that relationship where you've been crossing boundaries. He dares you to stand up to the boss that's asked you to do something unethical without integrity. He dares you to be a Daniel, a Shadrach, a Meshach, an Abednego, a Peter, a disciple, someone who will stand up and stand out and step out into the unknown. He dares Abraham to leave the comfort zone that he was in and to move towards the promised land. It's not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. So take on a risk that brings glory to God. This is where Jonathan was at. He says, we got to go over there. Watch the contrast in verse 2. It says, now Saul, Jonathan's dad, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Saul was sitting here, depressed, discouraged, overwhelmed, outnumbered, outmanned, and he had accepted his fate. And with him were about 600 men, because as the leader goes, so goes the followers. So these 600 men had taken on the posture of depression. And they're sitting under the tree, sitting down. Jonathan's standing up. He's moving towards the enemy's territory. Saul is sitting down. The father has, has lost hope. He's given up. And the son is saying, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then in verse 3, watch this, verse 3, he's surrounded with, with, with a priest, Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. An ephod was an, a, a thing, that would, a garment that would go over a priest. It was an external picture of following God's voice. The only problem was they weren't following God's voice. It was all about image. It was projecting an image on Sunday of wearing Sunday's best, but going back home and abusing your family and abusing yourself, and living in defeat, and depression, and discouragement. It was an external, it was like, we're gonna wear the ephod today, but we're not gonna get out from under the tree. And then this man who's wearing the ephod, he's the son of Ichabod's brother. The name Ichabod, it only shows up like twice in scripture. It meant the glory of God has departed. So here Saul is sitting in this place of oppression and depression, and the first step out of depression, uh, like I said, you got to drain the swamp, but then you got to start making a move. Even when you don't feel like it, going to church, showing up, getting out of your house, getting out of your bed, just making a move. But they're sitting there and the glory has de their best days in their mind. The best days are behind them. And no one was aware that Jonathan had left. And so we go to verse four. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. So here, Jonathan, he's on a cliff. If he falls to the left, it's going to hurt. If he falls to the right, it's going to hurt. He's taking a risk. Step out on the cliff. And he's going towards the Philistine outpost. He's headed there. Look at verse 5 here. It says, one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. And verse 6, he looks at his friend. And he says to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. This was some intense language here. 
Jonathan was saying, I'm tired of being overran by anxiety. I'm tired of living under the oppression of depression. I'm tired of sitting under a tree waiting for God to show up when maybe God's waiting for me to make a move. Maybe God's promises are motion activated. Maybe when we take a step, God shows up. Maybe when we step out, God shows up. Maybe when we believe that he can and take Mark 9 that nothing is impossible, God will do it. Perhaps the Lord will act, he says. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Everybody say, perhaps the Lord. I want the band to come out as I get ready to close. Perhaps the Lord will show up. Perhaps. See, Jonathan could see it in here. When you can see your victory in here, it's a lot easier to achieve your victory out there. You've got to see it. You've got to say it. You've got to believe it. And you've got to move towards it. You've got to move towards it. Number five, start living with a vision and an appetite of victory in your life. A vision of victory. I am victorious. Wake up tomorrow morning, look in the mirror and say, good morning, you good looking thing. This is your day to succeed. You're going to do awesome today. You're not going to have depression today. You're going to walk in joy. You're going to be an encourager to people around you. You're going to look for ways to celebrate others. You're not going to live in jealousy today. You're, gonna, you're not going to live in defeat today. You're not going to have a pity party today. Look in the mirror tomorrow morning and have a vision of victory for your day. Have a 24-hour vision of victory and have an appetite. You know, eagles and chickens, they eat different foods. Chickens eat whatever's in front of them. And chickens mate with whoever's in front of them. <laughs> I'm not going to imitate that. Get your mind out of the gutter and Jesus drain the swamp. Uh, but eagles, eagles, they're up here. Eagles have selective mating. They have selective eating. They have a selective appetite. They fly high. They're saying, I'm not settling for that crud. I'm not getting myself into that junk. I'm not just going to keep on feeding on that stuff that's been messing with my system. I'm going to change how I'm living. Get an appetite for victory in your life. We've normalized our appetites by what the world likes to eat. But we are a Daniel generation. We're an Elisha generation. We're a Joshua generation. We are a New Testament church. And so that means we're stirring ourselves up that we serve a resurrected Savior who does not lead us into defeat and discouragement, but leads us into victory. So I got a vision and an appetite for victory in my life. Number six, risk sharing your heart with a good friend. If you want to have mental and emotional victory, risk sharing your heart with a good friend. Don't keep what's going on inside you to yourself. I love that Jonathan opens up in verse six. He turns to his friend. He says, can I tell you something? I think we're supposed to do this. And I love his friend's response. In verse seven, he says, Jonathan, my bro, my friend, do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. We're brothers. And this guy right here, when I share a crazy vision, or he shares a crazy vision, let's do it. Let's do it. This guy just wrote a song for the Tulsa Gathering Place, the theme song that opened last night. 
You need someone in your life. For mental and emotional stability, you need a brother. You need a sister. You need someone in your life that's not going to constantly put you down or question your motives or feel like you're never going to be good enough. Someone who just says, man, we've been through a lot, and your idea sounds a little crazy. <laughs> Climbing up a cliff and hoping that God shows up and, and we don't have enough weapons. But I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm with you, heart and soul, Daniel. I'm with you, heart and soul, AJ. I'm with you, heart and soul. If we're going to climb out of this, we got to climb out together. This isn't a solo act. I need you. You need me. This week is Connect Group Launch Week. It's group, victory groups. I dare you to get in a group. I dare you to risk opening your heart up for relationship with others. Go through the men's discipleship track. It kicks off this Tuesday. It's free for every man. Ladies, go through the women's discipleship track. It's free for every lady. It's not just for a certain select group of people. It's for anyone who just wants to grow in their walk with God. And what's going to happen outside of a church service is you're going to start meeting some new friends. And I dare some of you to open your house and start a group this fall. I dare you to take a risk to say, we're going to open our house up. I don't know if anyone's going to show up, but at least I, I lived my life not caring about trying to impress people, but opening my house up and risking failure. And guess what? One person shows up. And if one person shows up, it was worth it because that one person's life was impacted. I started a connect group where only one guy showed up for a long time. I thought I was the biggest failure of a connect group leader. I thought, God definitely can't use me to pastor a church. I can only get one dude to come to my group. But you know that one dude had an impact on his life. Had an impact on his life. All you need is just one person to share your heart with. To build it. And then you got to get outspoken with your faith in God. Here's the next point. you got to get outspoken. you got to start declaring, this is where we're going. We're going here. We're going here. We're going to see a victory this year. We're going to start some more campuses. We're going to take some more risks. We're going to see what God can do here. We're going to show up in Peru, and we're going to believe that God can save a nation in a day. I'm going to get out. I'm going to believe that God can provide all that I need. I'm believing for a full ride scholarship for Daniel. I'm believing that God can do more. we got to get outspoken and start believing that God can do it. Get outspoken with your faith in God. The next point, we've got to risk moving from isolation to relationship. Again, Jonathan used his buddy. They together, they used each other. They worked together. I need some help. Marquise, where are you at? Marquise, are you around here? Where are you at? Come over here. Um, I've got a ladder over here. Marquise, will you come over here? And, and, and maybe AJ and John um, and Daniel, yeah, come over here. Because what we do when we start moving and relate, will you grab that ladder? And we might need to bring some lights up over here. And will you Who's holding your ladder? Turn to the person next to you and say, who's holding your ladder? Because who's holding your ladder is going to help you. Yeah, let's lean it up against here. Let's, let's see if we can get out. Oh, okay, this is kind of scary. <laughs> who's holding your ladder? Yeah, you got to risk one step at a time. Drain the swamp. Move from defense to offense. Get outspoken with your faith. Get in relationship. Risk sharing your heart with a friend. What are you doing? You're climbing out of the basement. That's what you're doing. You're starting to walk in mental victory. That's what you're doing. <laughs> Keep climbing until you reach the top. Because it's all about the climb. 
Keep climbing until you reach the top and prepare to fight. Some of us, we stop climbing. Halfway through our victory, we stop climbing. And we just get stuck spiritually, stuck mentally. And God's saying, come on. Don't be scared to come up there. When you move, God moves. When you move, God. I know it's scary. I know you're going to have to face some battles up there. Going to college, taking that promotion, turning in that application, taking a step, taking a risk, showing up to that group, opening your house, serving at the church. But keep climbing. Keep climbing. This last week, I was in Brazil on a missions trip, just a short trip, and and I realized that what's happening in the States is also happening nationwide, I mean, worldwide, globally, that there's attack on people's hearts and minds. So many pastors and leaders were just weeping, telling me what they've been walking through, just depression, just attacks on the mind and spirit. And, and one of the things that I kept sensing from a lot of them is they want to fast forward through the pain. Just, I just want to skip all the steps and just get to the victory, the top, the mountain. There's something about the climb that prepares you for the top. Uh, on the way back, I woke up with only 20 minutes left on the flight, and they had a TV on the airplane, and so there was a movie on there that I, I loved watching. I'd seen it once or twice, and I loved the ending of the movie. It was called The Life of Walter Mitty. And I loved the last 15 minutes of the movie, so I thought, well, I got 15 minutes left in the flight. I'm just going to watch the end of the movie because that's the best part. But I watched it, and it didn't have the same effect. I was like, why didn't this feel as good as the first time I saw it? And I heard God say, you skipped the slow parts. You skipped the tension building parts. You just skipped all the way to the end thinking it would have the same. The end is only as good as the pain you walk through in the beginning. When you climb through the pain and you climb through the hurts and you feel the tension in the relationships and you don't quit on the relationships in the middle of the tension, and you stay on the ladder and you keep climbing through the marriage, you keep climbing with the family, you choose not to throw in the towel. There's something about the climb that's preparing you. We did not practice this. <laughs> ah! What am I doing right now? What, I'm serious, what am I doing? Oh. got to get the dust off here. It's dusty on the top because not many people climb all the way up there. Keep climbing. This is really scary. Keep climbing. I got to throw up my last points. Realize God is fighting for you. See, when, when Jonathan got up to the top of the mountain, you should read 1 Samuel 14 later today. Jonathan gets up there and he tells his armor bearer, he says, come on, we're going to fight. Let's climb up together. So they're climbing up. They get up to the top and they start fighting on the mountain. They're fighting. And what happens is amazing. They only had one weapon, two dudes. And in, within a few minutes, they took out 20 guys. And then all of a sudden, a panic spread across the Philistine outpost. There was like a earthquake that rumbled the ground. When Jonathan showed up, God showed up. This was not Jonathan's battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Your mental and emotional battle, you are fighting from victory. You have the victory. You will walk in victory. You've got resurrection power. The battle belongs 
to the Lord. I'm almost done. You've got to lead others into victory. This victory is not just about you. It's about leading others with you. See, when Jonathan climbed up, he made a way for the Israelites to climb up. And what happens next is his father, Saul, he comes, he starts fighting. He didn't even know it was his son that stirred the courage of their hearts. He just found out that someone stepped out. And so Saul showed up and the victory belonged to the Israelites and they conquered. And then last but not least, final point here is never stop advancing. Because what happens is Jonathan wins the battle. But you know who was ticked off at Jonathan after he won? Saul, his own dad could not celebrate his son. His dad was so depressed, so insecure, that when his son won a victory, he couldn't even celebrate his own son. In fact, it says that Saul almost tried to kill Jonathan. When you're in that dark of a state, you start, you start becoming threatened by everything and everyone. Oh, Jesus, help the fathers to celebrate their sons. Help this generation that we would celebrate each other's victories. See, any victory that happens in our city or in the world for the church is all of our victory. When more people come to Christ. And listen, we've got to advance together. What happens is Saul rebukes his son Jonathan. And so three chapters later, Goliath shows up. And where was Jonathan when Goliath showed up? Where was the courageous young boy, potentially the future king of Israel? He was on his pathway to becoming the future king. But because of the discouragement of his dad, he had lost his hope. He had lost his courage to step out and fight a giant. And so this little shepherd boy, David, steps on the scene and takes on Goliath. And guess who the first person was to congratulate David? Who pledged his life to him? Jonathan. Because Jonathan saw in David what was once in him. Oh, that's, that's how I used to live. I used to climb those kind of mountains. I used to live with that kind of courage. I used to take those kinds of risks. I don't know how I'm going to get down from this. <laughs> Should I do a trust fall? <laughs> AJ's saying, no, we don't have an insurance plan on this. Come on, Jesus. Come on, wipe the dust off. Stand up on your feet all over this place. Thank you, bros. Well, this was a fun service. Take a risk. Never stop advancing. I think Jonathan saw in David what he was called to be. When David took out Goliath, something in Jonathan remembered, that's the kind of courage I'm supposed to live with. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to overcome what's been said against me, what's been done against me. I'm supposed to rise up out of this mental and emotional oppression and depression. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes all over this place. If you're here right now and you've been battling discouragement or defeat or depression or oppression, maybe you're here right now and and you feel like you're down in the basement. Maybe you're here right now and you've been climbing, but you're like halfway there and you just wanna fast forward. And I hear God saying,
keep climbing. Don't miss this moment. It's preparing you for the victory that I have in front of you. I think there's some of you today that you've been working towards victory. You've been climbing towards it. And God's saying, I want you to shift your focus. You already have the victory. So just wake up each day and thank God that you have the victory over this battle you've been fighting. That the victory is yours. It belongs to the Lord, but you got to show up. His promises are motion activated. When you show up, the doors start to open. When you walk towards the giant, it starts to fall. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I want you to lift your hand today. God's speaking to you to move towards mental and emotional victory, to step into victory in the mind and the heart. If you raised your hand or should have raised your hand, I want you to take a step from your altar, your seat towards this altar. Take a step from your row down to this altar. Come on. This is your ladder. You are climbing towards your, you are walking into your victory. You are stepping up into your victory. You are stepping into greater confidence in God, greater trust in God. You're choosing to take a risk in relationship this week. Get in a connect group, join the discipleship track, get involved at church again. You're choosing to trust God, to live with a radical trust in God, a courageous life. When you move, God moves. God has already made the way. He's already broken the power of sin and death and hell, but it gives you the choice to take a step each day out of death and into life. Deuteronomy says, I've placed before you life and death. Choose life so that you might live. Blessings and cursings, choose to live the blessed life. One step at a time, just keep climbing up. Just keep moving towards it. God's giving it to you one day at a time. This is my friend right here, Chris Harris. He serves as an usher at this church. And he was there where I was mentally and emotionally. He walked through the loss of his child five years ago this week. August 20th. August 20th, five years ago. And the enemy tried to mess with his mind and his heart. He sat in the very back for how long? For a year. <clears throat> for a year I sat with my arms crossed. My wife and my son was plugged into the church. My, the twin of the daughter we lost was in childcare and loved it. Sat up there and heard Pastor Paul's messages, but didn't let it get into my heart. My family just kept going and going and people here kept shaking my hand and smiling. And it was hard for me to, to get through that. And I finally made a commitment because I'm just kind of a type A kind of guy. You can ask my wife, I work too hard, I do too much. And it keeps me busy, it keeps my mind off of stuff that I really need to focus on. And I woke up one morning and said, you know, I spent a lot of 2 and 3 a.m. in the office working to keep my mind off of it. And I just kept listening to worship songs and I would go back and listen to his messages. And it was always a victory. It was always of praying and being successful and everything happening like Marquise. And I was like, why? What did I do wrong? And how did I not pray hard enough to save my little girl? But I know for her, it's the best place in the, in the world to be. She's up there with God and Jesus and all of the people who have already gone up there. 
all the aunts and uncles that she has, brothers and sisters. And I thought, okay, I've got to step out. You know, and guys don't talk about this stuff. We've all been through something and we don't share it. We're too proud. So I finally said, okay, I'm gonna go for a victory. Back then it was word explosion. I'm gonna volunteer, I'm gonna usher. Stepped out, came to that meeting that night. My wife had already been to it, so I came by myself, listened to Pastor Paul and Ashley talk about the vision. We walked around, I don't know if you guys saw those photos, but we, we pray over all these seats and then we surrounded this whole auditorium holding hands and praying what, for what was to come in the harvest. And uh, something in my heart broke. That heaviness fell off me. And I came down to Pastor Paul and I had to ask for forgiveness for him because I was so bitter and angry towards the church. I wasn't mad, but it was like I went through it by myself, even though we came here since 2010. It's like they let me down. And I said, Pastor Paul, I need your forgiveness on this. And he had no idea. You know, he's, he's this one guy up here that preaches these awesome messages and is getting better every single message. And if he hasn't, if he hasn't shook your hand, if he hasn't made eye contact with you, it's not because he's overlooking you. Look around you. There's so many people here. He's so focused on doing the best thing for this church. So don't take offense. You know what he said to me? He said, bro, I'm so sorry. I love you. And I've been here ever since. And I've gone from the back row top and my wife used to sit up there too because it was a comfort zone thing. And here we are, I'm down at the end of the service in the beginning of the service watching over this family. And I love it and it fills me every week. It re-energizes me, it refocuses me off the things that happened that week or, I mean, you know, it just, yeah, shake somebody's hand, smile at somebody, give them a hug. I love this guy. Love you too. It's powerful, man. It's powerful.